Greetings and welcome to Let's Talk About Books, baby, where we talk with your favorite LGBTQ authors. This is Anita Kelly, and my guest today is author Kelly Wacker. Hi, Kelly. Hello. How are you? I am very good. Awesome. I love your name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't go wrong with Kelly. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I thought you meant my last name. <laughs> I love that too. That's unusual. Well, I know if we, we're sharing the first last name thing. Oh, I guess I've probably grown up with people, you know, manipulating my last name in various ways. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, uh, so how are you doing today? I am good. It's uh, I'm I'm in Central Alabama, so I'm here in the Deep South, and it is a I'm not sh- I'm not sure whether to say we're like late spring or early summer, you know, um, but it's just it's, the weather's beautiful right now, so it's it's really hard to not be good on you know a day when the sky is blue and things are growing and it's, it's good. Yeah, nice, nice. Ah, oh, that's good to hear. I know, I know. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> so, um, so Kelly, let's, let's talk about some, some books that you have, uh, out on the market. Um, if you don't mind, um, you have two published novels with bold strokes books. Correct. Um, so the first one I believe is called holding their place. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. And that, um, was published what in 2018. That's right. Okay. And and can you tell us a little bit about this? Absolutely. Um, Holding Their Place is a, a historic romance. Um, it's a no, it's a novella, so it's a it's you know shorter than your average novel, um, and it is set uh, during World War One in in 1916, which is really the middle of the war, um, and things are are very dire. Uh, it's set in France. the The characters are British, um, so it's uh, two women: uh, Dr. Helen Connery, uh, who is a surgeon, and Julia Marsh, who is a March. Sorry, at uh, Julia March, who is a, an ambulance driver, and they are stationed at a, a field hospital that's close to um, one of the fronts. And so it's really a um, novel of awakening, of, of sexual awakening, but the two characters are also suffragettes. And um, one of the things about the time period is it's it's a moment in time when so many things are changing, especially for women. Uh, so it also, ta- it also speaks to that time as well. Wow, that sounds great. I love historical romances. Um, so did you did you have to do a lot of research for that? I'm um, I'm thinking quite possibly you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's really a combination. So, um, you know, one of the things is I'm an art historian, um, you know, by it's like my my I like to say, you know, my day job is in academia and then and writing, you know, fiction anytime, any other time that I can. Um, sure. And um, so I'm an art historian. My uh, one of my areas of specialty is the art of the, the 20th century. And so I have a lot of familiarity with that time, you know, from an art historical perspective. Oh, nice. So there are some things I know, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. Um, but when you start writing a story, um, there are so many things that you, you don't know. Um, for example, um, one of the at, at some point, uh, you know, I wanted to have the characters sitting in a garden having a cup of tea. And I got to thinking, you know, was a thermos even around in 1916? You know, so yeah. 
go off on these little, you know, these little, you know, rabbit hole adventures. And, and I discovered that, yes, you know, the, the thermos was around in 1916. So sometimes there's those, those little tiny tidbits that you have to, um, have to research. And, um, and the story itself, you know, one of the, one of the most enjoyable parts of the research for that story was that um, it was inspired by two um, real life women uh, who were two doctors who um, ran hospitals first in France. They were also British first in France and then in um, in England. And their names are Flora Murray and Louisa Garrett Anderson. And um, they changed people's attitudes greatly about women and what women could do, um, you know, during World War One. So um, I had I had discovered them, you know, just in a roundabout way and their story. And so reading about them and reading, um, you know, histories about them really, you know, kind of in, informed the the tone of the story and and the sense of the sense of the place, you know, in the sense of the the people as well. So um, so there's lots of different ways of, of doing research. Really. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And and did you become aware of Flora and Louisa through your day job? Uh, you know, actually, I was thinking about this and recently, and I don't remember how I first became aware of them. I think it was because uh, about the time, um, you know, writing Holding Their Place, I was writing it around, you know, 2017 or so. And, um, you know, World War the dates of World War One were 1914 to 1918. So that window, there were a lot of things happening, you know, it, you know, in various places, you know, recognizing the war, you know, because we're coming up on that or within that 100 year, you know, anniversary. Yeah. And so I just happened to, I just sort of stumbled across this article. Um, it was actually like a, a um, something from the the BBC. Um, it was like a little like um, like radio essay or something like that, mm -hmm. and it was about the it was about the hospital that they ran, and and I was so fascinated by it, and so then that led me to learn more about them, and and it, it just kind of folded its way into the story. Oh, that's really cool. That's I, I that adds like a a whole nother I guess you know level to it that it is kind of based. Um, on some real, real women who were really doing that work. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't necessarily base my two characters on those particular two women, but, mm -hmm. um, but the, but those two women and other women that I learned about, you know, yeah. um, they, yeah, they, they informed those characters. And you know, and the one thing I don't think I mentioned too is this hospital that they ran was an all-woman hospital, from doctors to administrators to orderlies. And uh, and they were suffragettes, and so they uh, yeah it was amazing. And one of their what their their motto was deeds not words. And so one of the things that they 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 did what they did in a lot of ways because it was important, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to their society. But they also did it to demonstrate how, how capable women were, and it changed attitudes. Women got the right to vote in Britain, um, you know, shortly after the end of the war. So. Um, so, yeah, so I think, you know, there's always these um, there's always these truths in fiction, you know, and that's something that I really love about fiction. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. Um, thanks for for letting us know about that. Oh, and, you're so. And that's still available through Bold Strokes Books, right? It is. It's um, it is available as a because it's a novella. It's available as a, in the ebook format only. So it is always available. <laughs> OK. Alrighty. And then you had a second book come out um, the following year in 2019 called Aspen in Moonlight, um, Correct. which is a totally different genre, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us about that? 
Sure. Um, the setting is contemporary. Uh, it's uh, it, it's paranormal romance. Um, it's set in Colorado, which is uh, my home state, um, and so a place that that I know well. And um, the characters are Sula Johansson, and she is the director of a bear conservancy. Um, she's trying to live very quietly, kind of under the radar. She's she has a big secret to keep, and um, she is she's a berserker, so she's a, a bear shifter. And uh, Melissa Warren is an art historian who's originally from Colorado, but currently living in the South. Sounds a little bit like me. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> and she travels to Colorado to find out more about some paintings uh, that she's inherited from her grandmother. And uh, so the, the two kind of, you know, meet in this place. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, romance. There's also a troublesome mountain lion. There is a um, a trapper who's trying to get the mountain lion and doing some um, illegal, you know, on top of unethical things. So there's lots of con uh, lots of conflict, um, and it's uh, it it, br it brings so much together. So I, I hope that's a good introduction <laughs> to the uh, to the story. Yeah, it really um, it sounds very adventurous, actually. Yeah, there is some adventure to it. One of one of the things about it is, um, you know, because it's designated as a, a paranormal romance and it has a, you know, a shifter character to it. And there's a, you know, in that, um, you know, particular genre, it th there's a lot of expectations for a story like that. And and my story is a little different. And that's something that that some readers have commented on that it's it wasn't necessarily what they expected and sometimes that was great for some readers and other readers were you know maybe not so good um but i had a lot of, i have had a lot of readers say that they really enjoyed the story some people said i don't know if that's a kind of story i would read but they loved it wow. uh, they liked the setting um i've always i always like to say if you like romance you like mountains you like animals you like a little you know adventure a little culture in the mix then you're probably going to like the story oh that's great that's great yeah you know i i often find myself thinking that like um because i'm i'm doing this podcast i try to read you know pretty much everything that comes my way and um i end up enjoying things that i never thought i would uh which yeah it's so easy to just read the things you know or the things you know you like and you know i really appreciate it when you know somebody makes a recommendation like hey i think this is a story or a book or whatever you know that i think you'll like um especially when it's something that i might not normally pick up because then you know it's 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 always rewarding you know to find something new or something different yeah it really is it's like when you were a kid and you know you were forced to try some new foods and yeah <laughs> surprisingly you like them <laughs> that's true and sometimes you grow into it you know yeah. uh, I think about so many things I didn't like you know at one point in my life that later on I ended up liking so it's it's good to stay open to those things oh definitely yep definitely it's it's great to stay open to anything right yeah. all kinds of new adventures in life so what I what I'm hearing is that um Aspen and Moonlight could be semi autobiographical is that right or well, no it, not not really well i mean there's a shifter yeah i'm not i i i 
secretly I wish I was. No, maybe not so secretly. I think anybody who knows me. I, I love animals. I love bears. Um, I had a, a friend a long time ago uh, who used to call me Gentle Ben. <laughs> and uh, so that's something that's, you know, you know, just kind of, you know, been there. I'm an art historian, right? I'm originally, you know, from Colorado. Uh, and I live in the South now. So there's all these little pieces. I have a painting, you know, by my grandmother or not by my grandmother that I inherited from my grandmother uh, that was by a, a local painter who's just, you know, kind of a, a almost all, all but sort of unknown, you know, um, landscape painter from the area. So there's all these little, you know, bits and pieces that like I said, there's always truths in the fiction, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's all these little pieces that inf inform it, but that, but the story itself, you know, is, you know, is sort of, it's, it's its own world, you know, or it's own, its own place. So did you have to do any research for that particular book then? Uh, yeah, somewhat. And, and then that, you know, and that one was, a, you know, it's a, it was different because with holding their place, there were those historic details, you know, that I, I that it, it was important to me, you mm -hmm. know, to get those things right. And also to give a feel, you know, for the place, um, for Aspen in Moonlight, it was a little bit different because it's, it's in my time, you know, in my setting and a place that I know. So sometimes it was a, it was a kind of, you know, the research was sometimes remembering places, you know, and I, I think, you know, part of the story, it came out of um, missing Colorado, you know, like missing, you know, missing that place, you know, and so getting to write that story, I got to be there again. And that that was nice. You know, I, that was something that was, you know, really enjoyable about the process or uh, process of writing it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so sometimes research was, you know, imagining um, the, the town and the mountain town where it's set is a town called Buckhorn and, and it's a, it's a fictional town, but it's based on some real, a real place, uh, and, or it's kind of loosely based, you know, on a place. And so, um, so I'd have to think about some things about the logic of the place, like, you know, how long might it take to get from one side of a mountain, you know, to another, you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Or I'd think about some places that, um, you know, that I've been to, or even, even some settings. So, um, a good example is this might be the, an example of like the most enjoyable part of research is um, one of the scenes takes place in the Brown Palace Hotel, which is Denver, and it's there's a date, you know, happening. And, and um, I, you know, the Brown Palace is a place that's, you know, really well known. It's an old historic hotel. It's really beautiful. Um, and, you know, I know about it. I've only seen it from the street. I've never actually been in it. And I thought, wow, I want to use this hotel as a setting. I need to go there. So, um, you know, when I was out there, you know, visiting uh, family and, and my wife was with me, we, we basically got to go on a date to the Brown Palace Hotel. Aww. And, uh, and it was great. You know, we got to walk around, look around inside and, you know, spend time in, in the bar and, you know, kind of just, you know, immerse, you know, in the setting of the place. And, and that is, you know, that's definitely the, the best or the most fun kind of research, uh, you know, that you can do for a book. That's so cool. Good for you. Yeah, that is fun. That's great. Yeah. So, um, how has, you know, you mentioned that you're an art historian, right? So how has your day job, your full-time career um, as a, um, a professor of art and environmental studies influenced your writing? It sounds like it, it may have. Yeah, it definitely informs it. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate in that my 
you know, my career as a art historian and an academic is, you know, I, I do what I love, you know, like I, I love art, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, getting to, you know, talk about it and, uh, and, you know, share it with, with students. I'm also, you know, I'm primarily an art historian, but I'm also at my university, I'm also a part of the environmental studies faculty council. Um, so some of the things I teach overlap, you know, some of with them. And, and I'm, I'm an environmentalist that, you know, nature and the environment's really important to me, both personally, but also connections, you know, with art as well. Yeah. Um, so one of the things you'll, you'll notice in my writing is that, um, you know, art and history and nature, all of those things are always there, you know. And so whether you know, withholding their place, it's historical. And it's, there isn't a character who's an artist necessarily, but there is a little art story, you know, kind of embedded, uh, in, you know, in the story, there's a, a mention, you know, relative to art. Um, and, you know, in Aspen and Moonlight, I, there is an art historian, you know, that's, a, that, it, you know, is one of the, is one of the main characters. Um, the other thing too, is as a, you know, as an art historian, I have a sense of history and that's helpful. Um, I'm I'm really good at research, you know, and that's helpful helpful, you know, for any kind of writing certainly. Um, and the that that connection of art, nature, and place, you know, I can I can bring that to my writing. And and one of the things about fiction is it's really freeing. Um, so, um, it, and this is a this is kind of maybe not so much you know influences my writing, but it's connected to it in the sense that you know as a professor you know we're called professors because our job is to profess what we know to be true you know, yeah. and so we stick to the facts. Yeah. <laughs> you're writing fiction, you can take an idea and run with it. You can, can maybe base something in a fact, um, but then it becomes something else, or you can invent something. You know that's something I can't do in, with when I have my academic hat on, um, but I can I. Can't can, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing. So, um, so I get to use all of those skills, I guess, my skills, interests, passions, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I, but I get to put them together in a, in a different form. Oh, that's really nice. That's like the best of both, both worlds then really. It is. Yeah. I feel, I feel lucky. Yeah. So, um, do you have other published works, um, outside of your work with Bold Strokes? Um, in terms of fiction, I, I don't. Okay. Um, so any anything else that's, that's published um, under my name is academic, you know, oriented, so art or um, kind of scholarship of teaching, that sort of thing. Um, but those uh, holding their place in Aspen and Moonlight are, are my um, so far <laughs> my my two works of fiction. Okay. So when did you start writing fiction, um, and um, like what? How uh, did you decide to um, submit it for publication? Yeah, I, I started seriously about five years ago or so. I'd have to look at a calendar okay. <laughs> from that. Um, but, you know, I had, I had tried writing fiction off and on, you know, for a long time. And it, it you know, it's just kind of a lot of, you know, false starts. And um, but I started doing it seriously when I, I was having a, a conversation with Karen Williams, who's a, a author. She's published quite a bit. Um, and she's uh, novels, short stories and essays. She's won awards, too. Um, one of my I'm really, you know, honored, you know, um, she's a, a good friend. And she's also my favorite, one of my favorite authors. I'm, I could say favorite author. Uh, we were talking and she was like, you know, I think you'd be a good, you know, fiction writer. Um, you should start with a short story. And so she gave me a lot of feedback and um, and continues, you know, to do that. And and so what I started writing was the beginning of holding their place. And so 
it started off as a short story and then it took off like a sort of, you know, I think a lot of authors talk about this is once you get your characters established and it gets rolling, it's like they sort of take over and, you know, uh, and, and that's what happened. And I, and I ended up with a novella length uh, manuscript and, um, and, and then I thought about, well, you know, where does it go and, and did some, you know, research and looking into the publishing world. Cause it's, you know, this is a new you know world for me. Uh, I made a list of, of, you know, I wanted to stay with publishers who were publishing, you know, lesbian fiction and genre fiction. And, um, you know, so I just made a list and thought, you know, I'll start, I'll start, I'll start at the top of my list and, and work my way down. And the first, um, you know, I, the first publisher rejected it, but it was the nicest rejection for anything that I think I've ever had. Um, and, uh, you know, they gave me some feedback and, and, um, and, you know, really explained that they, they were more interested in a full length novel. And uh, I submitted it to the next publisher and that was Bold Strokes Books and, and they accepted it and have been really helpful uh, and kind in, in, you know, working with me through the, the editing and, and publishing um, process. So I feel, I feel for, I feel like I landed, I landed well, you know, uh, and, and fairly quickly. Like I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily, I thought I might have to keep working down the list, you know? Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. Um, only one rejection letter I'm hearing. Yeah. I had lots of letters for different things though. So <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so do you, are you working on anything currently? I am, and um, I'm, and I'm, I'm so close to finishing it up and and getting it turned in. Um, like so many, like so many people in of you know all sorts of different professions, and certainly writers. The pandemic has, you know, weighed on all of us in various uh, kinds of ways or slowed us down. So it, it's a book that I feel like I'm, I'm delayed, you know, from where I wanted to be with it. But but it's okay. It's gonna, you know, I'm, I'm, it's getting there. Um, and so the story is. Um, it, it, anyway, it has a title. It's called The Fall Line. It's also a contemporary uh, paranormal romance. And you'd call it a ghost story, um, but I like to refer to it as really a story with a ghost. You know, it, it, again, I, I think a pattern for me is not to write a story that's, you know, kind of traditional, you know, to the to the genre. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there is a love story between two living women, um, but there is, there is a ghost who's an important character. And as much as it's a romance between women, it's also uh, a romance with, of place. Uh, and so the... Um, the two characters are, are uh, or main characters are, are Maddie, uh, who's an English professor and the director of an artist residency. And you'll notice patterns here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the other character is Jordan, who's an artist naturalist, and uh, she's out of state. She's the new artist in the program. And she's in town to see the Cahaba Lilies. And, and the story is set in central Alabama in a small college town, <laughs> which sounds very familiar to where I live. Um, in in some ways, you know, my experience here, you know, it informs it. But I actually imagined, you know, what if one of these old little mining communities, it's really kind of a ghost town now, close to the Cahaba River, um, you know, became this vibrant college town. So that, you know, that's where my imagination comes into play. Oh, and but the, but the one of the ways the things to rather to consider about the story is like the, the place is fictitious, mm -hmm. the, the town, but the, but nature is very real. So the setting is the Cahaba River, which is about 20 miles or so um, from where I am here. Okay. And one of the special things about the river are the Cahaba lilies, which are in bloom, just starting to bloom uh, this week. And they are they are a endangered um, 
plant that uh, lily that that grows in the river it lodges itself in rocks in the river and be- blooms beautifully so it's an endangered um, plant so my character jordan is here to you know witness these endangered plants which she's going to illustrate uh there is a ghost who um is uh, a little bit mischievous um and also uh, complicates things and sets the sets the drama into into play uh, is probably the best way of describing it. And I I live in a town and work on a campus that is very haunted. <laughs> we have uh, many ghosts, so there are there are um, you know some ghost stories or you know uh, you know from where I live that have kind of rolled into the story as well. Wow, it sounds like a fun story too. I hope so. I mean, I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope that when it's available that readers will think so too. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, and do you have like a publishing date for that yet or no? Uh, oh, you know what? Uh, let's see. Well, I'm, I, sh- the manuscript is due in July and the publishing date is in 2023, but off the top of my head, I can't remember which month or time of the year it is so but that that's kind of roughly where i'm at okay well we will look for that for sure um that's great and is that with bold strokes as well it, it is with bold strokes too. great fantastic i have to tell you i uh was in alabama right before the pandemic that is the last place i visited before the pandemic wow yeah that was yeah um but uh and i had never been there before uh my nephew moved there uh he was living down in Citronelle. Um, so I've never been there, but I have heard of it. <laughs> it's, it's pretty far south, I think. It is. It is. Uh, yeah, it's down by the Gulf Coast. And they uh, probably, it's probably they're probably growing uh, satsumas and citrus down there with a name like Citronelle. That yeah. would be my guess. I'm thinking, yeah, it was. Uh, but it, it was uh, it's a nice area. So you know, it, it it is really beautiful. You know, one of the things, and this is this is the environmentalist in me that comes out. But one of the things about the Cahaba River is it, it's really beautiful and spectacular. A lot of people don't know a whole lot about it. It's sometimes referred to as the Amazon of North America, wow. uh, and it's one of the most biodiverse places um, in the United States. And it's also it's always in the depending on which species you're looking at, it's number one or top four or top five. And um, it's also one of the ones that's under the most threat. So, you know, part of part of the story is the the river is threatened um, and they, you know, and that's, you know, part of the the action adventure, you know, aspect of the story is, is saving the river, um, you know, from uh, from a bad thing happening. I'm, I know I'm I'm a little vague because I'm I don't want to sure. spoil anything. <laughs> Absolutely. Dope. I gotcha. No, that sounds great. Um, and I'm going to have to check out the Cahaba River. Um, I wrote that down. So, yeah, if you if you look it up, you'll find lots of information about it. Okay, very cool. So, um, what so far then, Kelly, has been like the hardest scene for you to write, and and you know what made it so difficult? Yeah, you know, I think hard. You know, hard scenes uh, or hardest scene. I can think of, you know, there's one, I'm trying to think which is the hardest, because I think if there's emotionally hard and there's logistically hard, you know, True. and logistically hard is kind of like the craft of writing. Like you've got a big party scene and lots of people and you're trying to keep your, you know, point of view and, you know, in the right, you know, head of the right, you know, character. Uh, and that's where, you know, as a, a relatively new, you know, writer of fiction, I'm learning learning that world a little bit mm-hmm. um, but there's emotionally hard I think too and 
Um, again, without going into too much detail, because this would give away, you know, a, a part of the story. Um, I've had, I've had at least one, you know, scene um, where something, something bad happens, you know, really bad happens to a good person. And that's hard uh, for me. I think I'm, I'm the kind of person who is, it's my gentle Ben character that, you know, aspect that I do is I'm pretty calm and good natured. It takes me, it takes a lot to make me angry. It takes, you know, um, and so, but writing, you have to go there, you know, sometimes you have to go to these emotions that are difficult. Um, and I, and I think about this even as an art historian and a professor, like sometimes, you know, I tell my students like art doesn't always make us feel good. You know, sometimes art feels bad, you know, it takes us to places because, it's about the human experience, you know, and, and we have to kind of process those things. So as a writer, um, you know, that's hard for me because I have to tap into emotions, whether it's like, you know, anger or loss or some kind of pain Mm -hmm. that, um, that I normally want to keep a little distance from, you know, um, and, and, but to write, you've got, you've got to get into, into that space, you know? Um, so, so for me, you know, I think that, that, that's the, har- that's the hardest scene. Yeah. And, and, you know, a good, a good author, a good writer will do that, right. Will uh, draw out those emotions from the reader. Right. And that's what you want to do. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I imagine that uh, writing that is just as difficult. Um, you know, I, I, as a reader, like, I think, oh, I, I don't like when books cause anxiety, you know, I just, yeah. and, and so I try not to write that either, you know, because uh, that produces anxiety. Um, but yeah, I imagine that that's tough. Um, right. But then at the same time, you know, if you can write, resol- you know, where there's a resolution or it feels resolved, you know, where things are good in the end you know that that offsets it too i think uh you know it's one of the reasons why i'm writing romance because you know with romance you you know from the start there's going to be a happy ending oh yeah you know know, there may be some tough things that happen along the way and and one thing i love about romance right now is it's it's tackling all the subjects or all the things you know Mm -hmm. Um, it's you know it's really broad you know in a sense um but it's good but the the there is power in a happy ending. You know, I think, I think we need it. We need, we need those stories where, you know, good things happen or, or the a good resolution, you know, to a challenging situation occurs. Yeah. And I think romance can deliver that. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Um, it's very versatile. Mm-hmm. So, so um, when you're writing, right, does that, mm-hmm. do you get energized by that or do you feel like exhausted? both. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah kind of, you know, it sort of depends. I think it depends on where you, where you are and what happens. And, you know, sometimes when the writing's good and you, and you just, you know, you're like, yeah, you have this like, you know, burst of creative energy and output, you know, it, it feels good, but, but even when it's energizing, it can be kind of exhausting too. You know, it's like, it kind of taps your brain power, um, or also just sitting, you know, for extended, you know, periods of time. I can be brain tired and body tired yeah. uh, from writing. Um, sometimes it energizes my mind, but, you know, kind of wears me out physically or the opposite, you know, happens. So it's, um, yeah, it's, I, th- I think both is the, the best answer to that. That's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it Depends. really is. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I can imagine, right, if you're writing some uh, piece that's very emotional, that might, you know, really like just exhaust you. Um, but 
you know, maybe it, um, you might feel energized by a new idea or, you know, mm. uh, I don't know, uh, a shape shifter scene or, you know. <laughs> yeah. And you get to imagine like running up a mountain or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, what you write, would, do you consider yourself, you know, there's usually like, I'll say two types, like a, a plotter, someone who outlines everything and, and knows exactly where they want to go, or, you know, there's the, what's called the pantser, who just flies by the seat of their pants, that's where that term comes from, and they just sit down and write and, and you know, don't have things, you know, mapped out uh, as, you know, a, a plotter would. Um, where do you see yourself uh, in that continuum? Yeah, you know, I I, I try to be a plotter. Okay. <laughs> but I think I end up a pantser. Really? Really? <laughs> yeah, you know, because I, I start with I, with an idea of the characters and setting and, you know, key plot points. I have an idea um, sometimes of where it starts and things that happen in the middle and where I want it to go. And, and I'll, you know, start to... to you know, plot that out essentially, or kind of map that out. Um, but what happens is once I start writing the, you know, the characters, when, when the, there's a moment when you have an idea of who the character is, but then you, and you have to, you know, really focus on giving the reader a sense of who that character is. And then at some point there's a shift that happens and you're like, Oh, that character would never say that. Or, or yes, my character would do this, you know? And it's like, they, they become kind of real in your head, you know, and on the page. Um, and then sometimes that takes the story in a, a direction that you didn't necessarily expect it would go, or you learn something, you know, along the way, you know, so, um, so I guess, you know, I guess where I try to be a plotter, but I'm open to the moment, you know, shifting on me, you know, in, in that respect, sometimes, like, you know, I get feedback from, um, you know, beta reader and, um, or they have an idea or something or something, you know, and that, and that, you know, potentially can, you know, kind of shift things too. So, um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit envious of, of those writers who can just map it out and then sit down and, and write it out. Um, yeah, and amazing. it is amazing to me. I agree. Um, and, uh, but I, I'm, yeah, I'm not that person. I don't, I don't know, maybe some with more experience, maybe I'll become that person or I maybe, know. I don't know, maybe this is just the way I write. Yeah. You know? I, I'm thinking it, it probably is because like, as I think about it, um, it doesn't surprise me because of right, your um, uh, history with academia and academia, you usually are, you know, expected to be pretty precise and, and have things mapped out. Um, but you are also like a, uh, an art historian. So in the art world, you're not, everything's not mapped out. It's kind of loosey-goosey, you know, and flowing. And, um, you know, so that, that doesn't surprise me that you kind of find yourself doing a little of each yeah i think i yeah i think that i think you you explain you put that into good context <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um that's great so and, and and i think i i agree with you i think that that would be very difficult to be to have an outline and then feel that you had to really stick with that outline um when your characters and most you know, authors will tell you that characters talk to them and, and tell them where they want to go, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you want to be open to that and, and not uh, be so rigid about it, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so what do you think is the most difficult part of this whole artistic process of, of writing? Mm. Well, 
gosh, you know, for me, it's time, you know, um, and the, you know, the, the actual writing, you know, some days are harder than others. Some days, you know, ideas are flowing and, and sometimes it's more challenging, but regardless, you know, you have to have the time to do that. So, you know, being somebody who's got, you know, a full-time job, um, and it, you know, to be able to, and especially too, within, you know, this, this pandemic world that we're kind of slowly, you know, emerging out of that, that made writing really hard. Um, because as you know, we were going into the pandemic, it made teaching incredibly difficult and time consuming and exhausting. <laughs> I imagine you had to change everything up. <laughs> yeah, we were, you know, we were totally online, you know, unexpectedly at the end of, you know, 2020 and then, uh, and then for an entire academic year and just, you know, everything, everything's been hard, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, and I know other people, you know, experience it, you know, differently, but I think that everything is hard, you know, sort of holds true. Um, and so, yeah, so I think I'm probably thinking about that too now because it's, you know, I mean, I think that's sort of, you know, fueling my thoughts on it, but it is about finding the time, you know, being able to find that balance of, um, you know, doing things you need to do. Um, and, um, especially if you're working full time and finding that time, because, you know, for me, I need, I need blocks of time. Like, like sometimes I might have an idea, you know, for a passage or a sequence or something, and I can write it out real quick or, you know, just kind of make notes. Um, but my, my, my best runs in writing, you know, getting words on the page is usually when I've got several hours, you know, to, um, to commit. So, you know, sometimes I have that time and sometimes I don't. And so I think time is the challenge. Yeah. Just kind of getting into the flow of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And getting into your characters really heads. Um, yeah. And sometimes you just need the time to think, you know, to be there. There's a, a, um, uh, an artist I can, uh, that I always think about, uh, named Susan Rothenberg. And, and she talked about how, you know, it was really important to spend time in her studio every day. Like, even if she wasn't painting, like, even if she was sitting in a chair, you know, reading a mystery book, you know, like, like it was important to be in that space because it's the creative space, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I think that, I think that that's an important aspect of writing too, to, to you know, give your, give yourself the, the brain, space or the bandwidth whatever however you want to think of it to let all those things percolate you know yeah, yeah i like that i like that that's great great advice so you mentioned that karen williams mm -hmm. was your favorite author yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um do you have some favorite books uh and maybe other favorite authors or no yeah well you know uh let's see karen's written several books uh and short stories and it's you know, you know, and with certain authors that I really love, it's always like whatever their most recent book is. Oh, yeah, I love yeah, that one. Yeah. You know? um, so I think, you know, the, the first book I read by her is Love Spell. And I, I think a lot of people are, are who know her work are, are from, usually familiar with that. That's a, a wonder. It's enchanting. Um, it's hard not to be a favorite book. But every book has, you know, that she writes has these, you know, nuggets in it. Um, I think one of the things I love about her as a author is, you know, she's she's writing, you know, romance, but um she's also um she's kind of tackling big ideas you know in in her stories and and she writes wonderful characters too and so I, I, that's a aspect of her writing that i really 
um, respond to. And she loves animals too. So I think there's that connection. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, you know, other, other authors that I really, you know, if I'm thinking about, especially the, the genre of, um, of, of romance and lesbian romance, uh, you know, uh, authors I like are um, Jerry Hill. I've, I've read, you know, several works by her that I really enjoy. Paradox Valley in particular. And, you know, it has a paranormal aspect to it. It's also set in Colorado, you know, so there may be that uh, yeah, connection has, there too. She has a lot of outdoorsy, yeah, so I think there's there's definitely that connection. Um, Catherine Friend is an author of, that I've enjoyed quite a bit. Um, she's some of her books deal with time travel and pirates, and um, so I, and maybe it, you know things being placed in different times. You know that has an appeal to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great uh, a great uh, pirates made me think of. There's a great um, pirate story by Colette Moody. Uh, it's it has a, a great title. It's like the sublime and Spirited Adventure of the Original Sin, or something like that. That's, oh, yes. yep. It's a fun book, and I, you know, I grew up loving um, like uh, Treasure Island, you know, and, and stories like that. I, I wanted. I, there was a time when I was a kid that I thought maybe I could be a pirate. <laughs> I thought Aww. that was maybe, you know. So those stories have an appeal, um, you know. And somebody who's you know crossed over more mainstream is Sarah Waters. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think you know, so many people love, you know, Sarah Waters too. And, you know, she's an author. She, she, I think she writes in the, you know, stories of the past. She really gives you a feel for those places and, yeah. and a mood, you know, um, yeah. for, for that place too. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Yeah. That's great. All right. So we are just about out of time. Um, so I'm wondering, Kelly, if you have any parting words for our listeners today. Gosh, yes. Um, well, I, I think, you know, a, a huge heartfelt thank you, you know, for being a reader, you know, and so, you know, personally, you know, supporting me, you know, as as an author, you know, for people who know um, my writing and who've enjoyed it, <laughs> um, but also for authors in general, you know, um, you know, reader, readers make authors possible, you know, <laughs> And, um, you know, and also for people who are, you know, like listening to a podcast like this one, um, you know, I, I'm I, it's also a, a thank you, not just for being a reader, but being, you know, like loving and supporting the authors that you like, but also being open to learning about new authors. I think a, a great thing about a podcast like this is that um, you have so many conversations, you know, with so many different authors and and um, it gives you a, an idea of like, wow, I, I kind of like that person. I like what they're saying. I'm going to go check out their books, you know? So, um, so I guess, yeah, like, thank you for being here. You know, thank you for reading. Thank you for supporting and, and thank you for, you know, considering other authors works. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kelly, for being with us today. And, um, I'm really looking forward to your book, the fall line, right. Which is due out in 2023. And, um, yeah. And I'm going to check out your other, your other works as well. So, Thank you. Um, This has been great fun. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Um, So uh, that's all the time we have for today. And I'm Anita Kelly. Uh, Thanks for joining Liz Talk About Books. And thanks again to Kelly Wacker. And until next time, may your journey be lighthearted, peace be plenty, and be safe, folks.